Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be here in Colossians chapter number one. And, uh, you know, we the elders here, we're, we're very thankful for this uh, church body uh, that represents uh, you. And uh, we're thankful that we have the privilege of, of shepherding you and uh, teaching you, leading you. And we never want to take that for granted because it's a, it's a ministry that God has called us to. And it's a ministry that uh, we need to uh, not make light of uh, because it's a very important ministry. And all of us elders, um, all four of us, uh, me, uh, Jerry, Jeff, Alan, all four of us will stand before the Lord and give an account on how we led you and shepherded you. Um, so that's something that we should not take lightly in of that. And, you know, it's our, I believe that it's our prayer that everyone here knows Christ, that you know him as your Savior, uh, that you've been uh, changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. And, uh, you know, we can't just assume that everybody here knows the Lord. Um, I can't look into your heart, you can't look into my heart, but I think it's important that you do know the Lord, that you do know Christ, and it's our prayer that you do know the Lord, and it's our prayer that uh, I believe, just as even what Paul says in Colossians 1.28, we proclaim Him, Christ, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. And so we want to continue to point you to the cross, and we want to continue to point you to the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, that can change your life. And the verses that we're actually going to look at here this morning are just going to do just that. And uh, Paul here has really just prayed for this church as we looked at past couple weeks about this prayer, and he's been praying for these new believers that he's never even really met. Uh, he heard about them through Epaphras, who was a faithful minister at this church. And uh, Paul's in prison. He hears about their faith in Christ. And so he writes them a letter and thanking them about what God has done in their life. And he's thanking them how the gospel had shaped their life, had transformed their life. And uh, he talks about kind of like what we looked at last week about uh, he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects. And one aspect of pleasing him is to give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, is what he says, uh, uh, summing it up in uh, verse number 12. And verses 13 and 14 that we're going to look at here really sum up the greatest of those blessings that we have in Christ, that in Christ the Father has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His Son. And because of that, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so the two verses we're going to look at today are really a way for Paul to not only remind these believers whom they have believed in Christ, to remind them of their faith, but to really also reaffirm 
who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and will do. And so it's our prayer this morning that as we look at these two verses that, one, if you do not know Christ, that because of who Jesus is, the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done, that you would come to faith in Christ, you would be convicted of your sin, and you would repent of your sin and turn to Jesus as the only Savior. And secondly, if you do know Jesus, that this will reaffirm that you have believed in Jesus and you need to keep looking to Jesus as the author and the finisher of your faith. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Knowing Jesus is a life that has been transformed by the gospel. Knowing Jesus is a life that has been transformed by the gospel. So let's take note here a couple things in our text. First of all, knowing Jesus means you have been delivered. Look what Paul says in our text here. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is one of the blessings to those who know Christ. You have been delivered. Delivered from what? Well, you need to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness. It's interesting to note here. Notice that Paul says that there's only one or two options here. Either you are in the domain of darkness now, or you are in the kingdom of his son. There is no middle ground. Either it's one or the other. There's no fence straddlers here. Either you are in the domain of darkness now, or you are in the kingdom of his son. There's only those two possibilities Either you know Jesus and are in his kingdom, or you don't, and you are in the domain of darkness. Notice what Paul says here about Jesus. He uses this word, beloved. He says he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He describes Jesus as his, the father's, beloved We are reminded in Mark chapter 1, verse number 11, when Jesus was baptized, we hear the Father's voice coming down uh, from heaven, and he says, this is my what? Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God spoke the same words on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 5. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What does all of that mean for us? Well, it tells us of the relationship that the Son, Jesus Christ, has with God, His Father. Their relationship is an eternal relationship. It's an relationship of love between the Father and the Son, and Jesus is the only one whom God sent who could save us from our sins through His death on the cross. You get the picture here? You see, Paul is showing us the difference between being in Satan's evil domain, which is of darkness, versus being in God's kingdom. And the way he shows us the difference is by using that word beloved. Those that have been delivered are placed in Christ. 
As what Paul says here, Christ now is the supreme object and expression of God's love. So either you are in the domain of darkness outside of Christ and outside of his love, or you are in the kingdom of God's Son placed in Christ and you are in God's love. There's no other option, one or the other. And so for you to have no Christ, you must have been delivered. You have to be delivered from the domain of darkness and placed in the kingdom of his beloved son. You see, the kingdom of God's beloved son is the realm where Jesus Christ rules, where he is Lord. I believe that there will be a future kingdom coming when God's kingdom will come down upon this earth. That's in the future. But here, I believe, Paul is talking about the present form of Christ's kingdom, where he is king over all who have submitted to his rightful lordship. The idea that you can believe in Jesus as your savior, but wait later in life to submit to him, is nowhere found in scripture. Either you are under the authority of the Son, or you're under the authority of Satan's domain, one or the other. You can't be wishy-washy. So either you know Christ, or you don't know Christ. Either you have been delivered, or you've never been delivered. And so you have to be in the kingdom of his beloved Son. Paul is echoing, really, here what the risen Lord Jesus has said to him on the Damascus Road at the moment of his conversion. Turn with me over to the book of Acts, because I want to show you the parallels here of what, uh, what Paul makes mention here. Acts chapter 26, and look with me in uh, verses 15 and 18, and if we use these verses and compare them here to what Paul says uh, here in Colossians, you'll see the parallels here are just astounding. Acts chapter 26, verses 15 and 18, he says this, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So note the parallels between the Lord's words here and Paul's words here in Colossians. In both of our texts here, the Gentiles move from darkness to light. In Acts, God opens their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light. In Colossians, God rescues them from darkness and transfers them into the realm of light. In both texts, there is a mention of forgiveness of sins and inheritance that the Gentiles receive in Christ. And so Acts mentions faith in Christ, which Paul also states here in, in uh, Colossians 1.4. But the point in Acts 26 and in Colossians 1 is that there are two and only two possibilities. Either a person is under Satan's domain of darkness, or he is in the kingdom of God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no middle ground. 
Take note of that word darkness here in this verse in uh, Colossians. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. In the Bible, darkness can represent a number of unfavorable conditions. It can refer to spiritual ignorance. In Ephesians 4.18, Paul says that the Gentiles are darkened in their understanding, excluding from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. In Colossians, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4, speaking of those that are unbelievers, it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing and whose cause the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so just as blind people are in total darkness and cannot do anything to see, so spiritually blind people are unable to see the light of the gospel unless God opens their blind eyes. Darkness also pictures sin in John chapter 3, 19 through 20. It states that this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. In Romans 13, 12, Paul writes, Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And he goes on then to mention the sins of drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and strife. But notice in this text there is a domain of darkness. And this domain is Satan's domain. In Ephesians 6:12 just before exhorting us to put on the full armor of God, Paul says this, he says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. You see, we live in a world here and now that is temporarily given over to Satan where spiritual and moral darkness prevails. So the picture of the world apart from Jesus Christ is desperate and hopeless. Unbelievers are spiritually ignorant and excluded from the life of God because of the hardness of their hearts. They love their sin. They don't want to come to the light where their evil deeds would be exposed. And they're under the domain of the spiritual dark forces headed by Satan himself. And so either you are in the domain of darkness and you have not been delivered, or you have been delivered and you are in Christ's kingdom, one or the other. Notice again, you can't be on the fence here. People are either in the kingdom of Jesus Christ under his lordship, or they are in Satan's domain of darkness under his authority. The sad thing about all of this, I think it, that most of us think about this, is we, when we think about people that are under the domain of darkness, the first thing that we sometimes think about, yeah, it's those people I see on cops. Yeah, it's those people that are over there in the uh, penitentiary. Yeah, it's those people over there that do those horrible, wicked things. But can I tell you, the people that we're talking about are relatively nice, good people. Many of them are faithful to their mates. They love their children. They hold down responsible jobs. 
They're good neighbors. They're good citizens in our country. They're not lawbreakers, but many of them are even church members. But they're in Satan's domain of darkness, and they need to be rescued. You may be wondering why I'm emphasizing this so heavily And it's because the reason is if the relatively good people in the world do not see their true condition as God's word describes it, they will be content to go on living as they do, not realizing how eternally perilous their situation really is. They won't see their need for the gospel. Biblically, if we're not under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we are in Satan's domain of darkness. So what is required? Well, secondly, you need to be transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son by being delivered. Notice what he says here. He has delivered us. This is a reminder to them saying, listen, Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. For God to deliver us implies that we cannot do it ourselves. The powerful enemy over the realm of darkness and our spiritual blindness combine to render us spiritually helpless to pull off our own rescue. In fact, until the Lord opens our eyes, we don't even know that we need rescuing. God alone has the power to overcome the evil prince of darkness and pull off such a rescue. Those that are without Christ are lost and blinded and slaved to sin, free only to do what He wants them to do. They cannot follow God because they're chained by their sins. Those chains of sin often alienate them from from family and friends as relationships are strained and, and severed. They're miserable. They're unable to live as God created them to live. What is needed is to be spiritually set free and transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son. This is not something that we do ourselves. You cannot rescue yourself. Only God can rescue them. Often people think that salvation, the picture of salvation is as one being out in a, a raging sea and you're out there all by yourself and you're, you're paddling, you're going, oh, 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 and you're about ready to go under. And then all of a sudden, you know, here comes the ship and throws out a life preserver and, oh, wow, just in time. That's not what Scripture teaches. Ephesians chapter 2 says, you were dead. You're a corpse at the bottom of the sea without any life living in you whatsoever. And God so miraculously brings you to life and resurrects you from the dead. That's salvation. That is being delivered. And it's God is the one that does it. Salvation is all of God. There's a picture of this in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, where the Lord tells Moses, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. 
Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. The Lord rescued the children of Israel. He rescued them. He delivered them. He did it. And this is simply to say that salvation is from the Lord. When God opens the eyes of sinners to see their desperate condition and that He alone can save them, all they can do is to cry out to Him for help and turn to Him. Lord, just like Paul was there on the Damascus Road, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus that you are persecuting. Rise, get up, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with your life. You see, there had to be a moment in Paul's life, there had to be a moment in your life when you were transferred from the kingdom, the domain of darkness, and transferred over to the kingdom of his son. And that only happens through the power of the gospel when the news of what Jesus Christ has done for us, that he paid your penalty on the cross, that through Jesus and Jesus alone, you can have life and be resurrected to new life. When you hear that message, God alone is the one that saves us. And he changes us and transforms us into the image of his own dear son, Jesus. So knowing Jesus means you have been delivered. Secondly here, knowing Jesus means that you are forgiven. Do you know there's a lot of people in life today that live with a lot of guilt? A lot of guilt. Could be fathers looking past over their life that uh, they have lived and they can look at their life and say, man, I should have done this, I should have done that. I should have invested more time here. I should have neglected here. And they live with a lot of guilt. Mothers who live with guilt. Sons that live with guilt. Daughters who live with guilt. Employees, employers that live with guilt. A lot of guilt. But can I tell you, that in Jesus Christ, this is one of the blessings that we have, you can be forgiven. And so knowing Jesus means that you are forgiven. Look what he says here again in verse 14. So because he has transferred us, he says, in whom we have redemption. In Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so to those that who have been delivered in Jesus... And those who have been delivered from darkness have been transferred to Christ's kingdom. You now have experienced some awesome spiritual blessings of being delivered. Namely, first of all, you have redemption. In Christ, we have redemption. Now, that word redemption is a very interesting word. It's not a word we really use today. Uh, the only time that I can think of that we use it is how many of you parents have ever taken your kids to Chuck E. Cheese? Okay. You know, you go to Chuck E. Cheese and you play the games and you get the tickets and then you take those tickets and what do you do? You redeem them for prizes, right? I've actually figured this out. They're actually cheating you. So it's not a good uh, scenario there. You have a better choice of uh, ordering from Oriental Trading and running your own Chuck E. Cheese thing than going and paying the price over there. But the point is, okay, that word redeem, we really don't use it in the way that it was understood back then. The word redemption, okay, back in those days, meant that it applied especially to the release of prisoners of war 
by the paying of a ransom or the freeing of a slave through paying a price. In his book, The Cross of Christ, John Stott states, In the Old Testament, property, animals, persons, and the nation were all redeemed by the payment of a price. And he concludes this thought by saying, In all these cases of redemption, there was a decisive and costly intervention. Somebody paid the price necessary to set free the property from mortgage, animals, from slaughter, and persons from slavery, even death. In the case of our redemption here, from slavery to sin and from Satan, as Paul mentions here in this text, the price was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this to be the case because Paul even says so in Ephesians 1.7, we have redemption through His blood. Jesus' blood means His death. Jesus died. And so we were redeemed from sin. We have been redeemed from the domain of darkness through the blood of Christ. That's the reason why Jesus had to die. He had to die because you and me cannot do it. We are unable to do it. We have no power whatsoever to save ourselves. No amount of good works, no amount of baptism or communion or saying the Lord's Prayer or whatever you want to throw in there has the power enough to redeem you from your sin at all. And so what do you need? You need somebody to pay the price. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He redeemed us from our sins. Jesus died as a substitute for us sinners. He died the death that we so rightfully deserve. He paid the just penalty that God decreed. And so this leads us to the second point here. In Christ we have forgiveness. Because we have been redeemed, we have forgiveness. This word forgiveness means to release from debt. In the case of our sins, God released us because Christ paid the debt by His shed blood. And so thus God is free to be both now just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, is what Romans 3.26 teaches us. As the Lord told Paul in Acts 26.18, as He proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles, they would receive now forgiveness of their sins through faith in me, faith in Jesus. And so redemption and forgiveness are both in Christ, as what Colossians 1.14 says here, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so by trusting in Him, we receive those benefits which He obtained when He died and rose again. You see, we can't do anything to earn God's redemption and forgiveness. We can't do penance or build up merit to qualify for these blessings. Christ did it all. See, that's what's so great about the gospel, the good news. You can't do it, but Jesus did. You can't save yourself, but Jesus can save you. You can't forgive yourself of your own sins, but Jesus can forgive you. He does it all. 
The author of Hebrews makes it very clear the, the Old Testament sacrifices could never take away sins. But Christ offered one sacrifice for all time and obtained eternal, eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.12 says, And he entered once for all into the most holy place, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. And so he himself secured eternal redemption. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 says, And every priest stands day after day serving and offering the same sacrifices again and again, sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered one sacrifice for sins of all time, speaking of Christ, he sat down at the right hand of God, where he is now waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are made holy. And so as a result, the assurance that God gives to all who believe is what Hebrews 10, 17 now says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Can I ask you a question? Do you think God can forget your sins? God knows all things, right? He's eternal, He's, He operates outside of time, but can He forget our sins? He chooses not to remember them. They says that they, they are far as the east is from the west. They're buried in the depths of God's sea. He chooses not to remember them. What sins are you talking about? Every lawless deed that you and I have ever done, if we have believed in Jesus Christ, has been forgiven and has been forgotten by God. And that is such an assurance that we can have in Jesus of what He has done. And so believing in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross is the only way to know that God has forgiven all of your sins. What about you? Do you know Jesus? Are you playing church? Is this a reality that you have been transferred from the dominion of darkness to now you've been transferred into the kingdom of His Son? Are you still under the bondage of sin, finding yourself continually sinning, never able to break that habit of sin? Always trying to do better, but yet you really can't? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you been redeemed from your sin? Only Jesus and Jesus alone can do that. Are you under the authority of Jesus Christ? How do you know? What evidence do you have to support that? Is the life of the Spirit of Christ living in you and producing good fruit? Or is your fruit corrupt and evil? Because it has an evil root. Have you been redeemed? Do you know Jesus? Do you know for sure that you have been forgiven? It's my prayer, and I believe it's also the prayer of the other elders here, that we can present you uh, complete in Christ. And we want you to know Jesus. We want you to know that Christ is the only way of salvation that can forgive you. Let's pray together.
If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.